We turn in God's Word this evening to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. As we consider together uh, another man in the Scriptures, whose name begins with the letter N. This time it is a man out of the Old Testament account here, a man by the name of Naboth. We'll be reading the first 16 verses, 1 Kings chapter 21. Let us hear then the breathed out word of God. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And after this Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? He said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the, general, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders, who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. And it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. And they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him, and the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. As far the reading so far, the word of the Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, we once again come unto you in the evening hour of this, your holy day. 
Father, we give you thanks for the opportunity to be here. Lord, we do pray now in this hour that you would remove those scales from our eyes that we might see, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our ears, that we would hear the word as uh, you have given it to Pastor Bob to speak to us. Father, we just pray that you would give Pastor Bob the strength and all that he stands in need of in this hour. In your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And amen. So we want to look at four things from this passage in regards to Naboth. One, that he was a man of Israel. Secondly, that he is a man of integrity. Thirdly, that he was a man treated unjustly. And fourthly, that he was a man of judgment. First of all, that he is a man of Israel. That needs to be said, for he is not a man of Judah. If this were to take place in the territory that is now called Judah, we might not be so startled by that which Naboth did. We might actually be assuming it would happen. For Judah always had remained more faithful to the Lord. In Israel, however, their worship has been diverted away from the Lord God to Baal. The Lord himself testifies to Elijah the prophet that there are now only in Israel some 7,000 who have never worshipped Baal. <coughs> this event takes place within that same time frame. So the fact that he is from Israel is significant. He is a man of Israel, not of Judah. He is a man living in a very unfaithful place at a very unfaithful time. He is a man living in a time of great, great spiritual adultery that is being taken place, that is being headed up by the two people we read in this passage, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. <coughs> Three things in regards to that as well. One, we always have to take note of his name. The name Naboth means words and prophecy. Or it can be joined together to be words of prophecy. And as the passage goes on and as we conclude, we're going to find out just how significant that name was. It appears to play no significance as the story begins and as the events that we have read about so far take place. But they carry great weight. His name, meaning Words of prophecy are indeed going to become a haunting reminder to Ahab. Secondly, his city. He lives in uh, Jezreel, which is in the territory, the land that was given to Issachar. And there is always a valley that is associated with this as well, the valley of Jezreel. One of the more fertile places in all of the territory of Israel. This is prime territory. This is prime land. And this is where, <coughs> excuse me, this is where Naboth lives. In the city that is in the center of this area, very popular, very prosperous, very wealthy. In fact, it is such a beautiful place, not only in terms of growth, but it's beautiful in terms of uh, summer that Ahab has set up a palace here. This is his summer home. 
And although it's only about, I, th I think I read somewhere between 12 to 15 miles from Samaria, yet uh, the temperature in the summer varies greatly with cool breezes coming off the Mediterranean working their way down this valley. <coughs> it becomes a very prime vacation spot, which is what Ahab has made it. The third thing to note in regards to this is that the passage tells us not only of Naboth, who is a Jezreelite, but that he also possesses a vineyard. This is what is significant about Naboth. Now, does he own others? We don't know. Does he have other things that he does as a farmer? We don't know. But we do know he owns a piece of property that is given away as a vineyard. A vineyard that takes, if it's going to be prosperous, if it's going to be beneficial, takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of hand labor. It's not something you can just let go. You have to be constantly trimming vines and you have to be trimming them correctly and rightly. You have to be watching out for the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. You have to be careful of the birds when they come in when, uh, as the grapes ripen. There is much tending that needs to be done. So you, you have to understand this piece of property that Ahab is after is not just a piece of vacant land. It's not something just sitting there with weeds growing on it and he comes along with his offer. This is something that probably Naboth's own sweat, tears, blood have been shed over in tending this thing and getting it to the point where it is beginning to produce and to produce well. <coughs> Secondly, Naboth is a man of integrity. Ahab comes with an offer. It is repeated in the scripture passage twice. One in the account where Ahab is speaking to Naboth himself. Secondly, where, Naboth, where Ahab is recounting the story to Jezebel. And here's the offer. I want your piece of property. I like your piece of property. Your piece of property is right next to my palace. I look out the window and I see it. I'd like to turn your vineyard into a nice vegetable garden. Perhaps the better translation of the word vegetable that's used here is herb. I want to grow some herbs here. I, I want to grow some delicacies that can be added to my daily food. I want something to, to give my food some pop. And so he offers. And as we read it, we think, not a bad offer, Naboth. <coughs> One, I'll give you a better vineyard. I'll give you a better one. Now, better may have meant size, Better may have meant more productive. Maybe better would have meant one that has a little more age so that the grapes that are produced are a little bit sweeter. Better. That's, that's the qualifier. It's better than what you have. Or, if you don't like that, I'll pay you for it. Now, when you first begin this story and read that he wants the garden, I think most of us 
assume, if you don't know the story, where it's going to go is he's just going to demand it. Ahab's just going to, you don't give it to me, you're a dead guy, so what do you want? Or we're just assuming he's taking it. He's the king. He's just going to imply the right of eminent domain and take that vineyard for his own. <coughs> but it's interesting, Ahab is a, is a very complicated character in the scriptures. For the men, we, we've been studying these, these chapters in our Thursday morning Bible study, and the more we study, this guy is complicated. He's complicated because there is always a side of Ahab that seems to know right from wrong. He just doesn't operate on the basis of it. He just doesn't make final decisions based upon the right and wrong. So, for example, he has a wife, Jezebel, who wants to cut off Elijah's head. Ahab meets Elijah several times, but he never kills him. When the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and he's told, you're dealing with the Syrians? This is what you need to do if you want to defeat them. He does it. It's like there is something in Ahab that, that just cannot completely turn away from the word of the Lord. So what we would expect to happen doesn't happen. <coughs> we see him offering money for this guy's vineyard or to trade for it. But Naboth is a man of integrity. Naboth refuses. Notice verse 3. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. <coughs> Why is he refusing? Well, you say, He says the Lord forbids. But if I press you and say, What does that mean? Some of you may stumble and say, well, I'm not exactly sure. Well, what's being referred to here are two Old Testament passages. The one is from Leviticus chapter 25. So we're back in the law of Moses. And in the law of Moses, there are laws about property. And one of the things that Moses commanded the people is that they were never to fully sell their property. They could never give it away, or they could never sell that property or give it away in the exchange, as Ahab uh, was, was thinking of doing. They were always supposed to keep it. And if circumstances got to the, to the extent that they, they, they needed to do something with the land to survive, they were allowed to, I guess I would use the term, lease it but never to outright sell it. And then, of course, when the year of Jubilee came, which was every 50 years, all of that would refer back. And you say, well, couldn't Naboth have done that then? Yes, but there is a second condition set. And the second law that helps us understand the first law is found in Numbers 36.7. And that law was this. You could never sell, lease, exchange property with somebody 
who was not of your tribe. So the one allowed for it within the tribe until the year of Jubilee, then whoever bought it had to give it back or whoever at least it had to give it back. But the second law says you can never do that outside. So if you're from Issachar, the only people you're allowed to do this to are people from Issachar. Ahab and Naboth are not from the same tribe. It's one little verse. One little verse tucked in the law of God. One little line. And it is on the basis of that line that Naboth goes to his neighbor. says, I refuse. But it's not just his neighbor, right? It's the king. He's telling the king, no, I reject your offer. I will not sell. I will not exchange. The Lord forbids me to do this. Understand, he's telling this to a guy who has established Baal worship in Israel. He's telling this to a man who would think nothing of slaughtering his own children. He's telling this to a man who has temple prostitutes. He's telling this to a man whose wife is as ruthless and as cruel as they come on the pages of Scripture. No. I will not do the exchange. And I will not sell you the property. The Lord forbids it. I will not violate the law of God. But there's a second thing in regards to that. It, 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 it's kind of a carryover from that. He has a higher priority in life. You see, if Naboth's goal in life was to be wealthy, here was his opportunity, right? He could have gone back to Ahab and maybe done some dickering. You know, you offered me that, but let's up it just a little bit. Well, how about instead of one vineyard, you give me three vineyards? How about instead of the value in cash, you double it? Then I might be interested. <coughs> but you see, his higher priority in life is not the amount of money he's going to make. This could have been his cash cow. This could have been his, I never have to work another day in my life. No more, no more pruning. No more out there in the middle of the day working, keeping birds away. No more being so careful and picking grapes. Oh, I'm so sick of all of that and running away, getting the little foxes out of here. And, oh, just the good life. I can just sip some tea and sit in my recliner and watch the ocean waves. No, he has a higher priority in life. Because to do those things in this circumstance would have been sin. And he will not venture into sin. He will not do so for the sake of his personal gain. This is a man of integrity. A man who holds to his principle, a man who holds to the word of God, is seeking to be obedient to the word of God 
even down to one little verse tucked away in Numbers 36, verse 7. You can never exchange or sell your property to somebody outside of your tribe. And you see, because he was a man of integrity, because he is a man who is obedient to the word of God, he now becomes a man who is treated unjustly. We all know the situation. Read you the verses. You, you understand the circumstance. There are four things that I want you to note that happen here. One, Jezebel is setting up a false situation. One could say, here's where fake news all begins to some extent. And it starts with this, proclaim a fast. Now the elders of Jezreel <coughs> should have known something was up. Why is Jezebel, a Baal worshiper, declaring a fast which is a Jehovah thing? Well... Maybe it's legit. Who knows? But it isn't. The whole thing is a setup. Pretend religion in order to accomplish one's goals. Now, you've never seen anybody running for political office do that, have you? You've never seen any politician ever use religion as a means of accomplishing their election. That never happens, does it? And you go, no, it happens all the time, okay? You know, they're always going to church on Sunday to go to some church service, and they probably never go to church any other time of the week, a year, except campaign time, and they show up at churches. Right? There, there is this, oh, I'm going to list myself as a Protestant. Oh, I'm going to list myself as a Lutheran. I'm going to list myself. Used to be, remember when they had those little bios? They always had something there. Everybody always was something. Because it's hard to run for political office if you're an atheist. It's just hard. So you put in something. Fake religion. That's what Jezebel is doing. It's a fake religious activity. She could care less if anybody fasts. She could care less if anybody mourns. But you see, Naboth, being a man of God, if this is a fast call to repent of our sins, I'm going. Because this is what we need to do. Maybe Jezebel's found religion. Be careful, my friends. It is so easy for us to be played by that which is false. Oh, it's given religious garb. It's given a religious disguise. It's given a religious appearance. But that's not the purpose at all. Any more so than a court of the Sanhedrin meeting to deal with Jesus. There is no legitimacy in it. It is as false, it is as fake as the fast of Jezebel. The second thing to note, not only is it a false fast, there are also false witnesses. Verse 10, and set two worthless men opposite him. 
Guys who have no spiritual bearing, guys who can be paid off, guys who have no scruples, in a sense the opposite of Naboth. Naboth who won't sell his land because there is a command of God not to is set up against two men who are willing to say and do anything for their next meal. Thirdly, there is a false charge. We heard Naboth say that he cursed God and the king. Interesting how Jezebel plays this, right? Because the way this plays out is what does the law now require? Naboth had used the law as his means of refusal. Jezebel is now going to use the law as the means of his disposal. For whoever cursed God must die. We heard it, got two witnesses. Both agree. Bring it before the elders. Out of the mouth of two witnesses. See, she didn't just set up one guy. She knew the law. She knew what it was. She knew what it was going to take. It was going to take two witnesses saying the exact same thing to bring about his condemnation. And then, of course, not only is there the false charge, but there is the false ruling. Verse 13. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Does anybody see the remarkable similarity in what has just happened here? between Naboth and Jesus Christ. Do you see what's happening? A false event. You have accusers, false witnesses. You have a false charge. You have the law being used against him to condemn him. He has blasphemed God, therefore he must die. And they take him outside the city to crucify him. And if you think that's a stretch, just keep your finger here a minute and go with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. Interesting what he planted, eh? And put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower, leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come let us kill him, 
and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, even Jesus himself is understanding and perceiving that which is taking place. And in this parable, I think there's an allusion to that which Ahab did. Because you see, it actually is Ahab. Oh, Jezebel is the one signing the, writing the letters, using his ring. But it's all under Ahab's authority. He's going to bear the responsibility for that which happens here. The judgment is going to fall upon him. But there's an interesting little side to this. Because when I first read and we were studying this, I thought to myself, well, if Naboth's older, what about if Naboth had sons? Wouldn't the vineyard had gone to his sons? Once again, back to 1 Kings. But now you're going to move forward to 2 Kings chapter 9. Now this is obviously 2 Kings 9, so we've moved forward in history. Pick it up at verse 24. And Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and shot Joram between the shoulders so that the arrow pierced his heart and he sank in his chariot. Jehu said to Bidkar, his aide, take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I rode side by side behind Ahab, his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him? As surely as I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, declares the Lord, I will repay you on this plot of ground. They not only killed and stoned Naboth, they stoned his sons as well. They got rid of the entire family so that what? So that as Jesus said in the parable, now the inheritance can be ours. And what is it that Jezebel says to Ahab once the deed has been done? Now get up and go claim the vineyard. It's yours. Naboth is dead. There's no one left to lay claim. There's nobody left with any integrity to step forward. Claim it. It is now yours. But as we proceed, with this event. Naboth's name does not just die away because he is dead. Naboth's name continues on. Pick it up with me back at 1 Kings chapter 20. Got to find it again, sorry. 1 Kings chapter 21. So you can about imagine what happened, okay? Jezebel says, go claim it. Ahab probably goes down, starts ordering ser servants, pull up those vines, pull up those vines, get this nice and smooth. 
plant some herbs here, some herbs here, and I want these here, I want these here, giving orders and directions as to how the vineyard is going to be arranged. Verse 17, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth. Notice the Lord never gives possession to Ahab. The Lord will constantly say, it's the vineyard of Naboth. It's not yours, Ahab. The Lord is a witness to that which is happening. The Lord has seen that which has taken place. Here's Elijah, wherever, and the Lord's coming to him and saying, I saw what Ahab did. I know where Ahab is standing. I want you to go there right now while he's tearing out vines. <coughs> Excuse me. While he's tearing out vines, while he's giving orders for the herbs to be planted, you go there with this message. Now notice the message, verse 19. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. God's condemnation. But it continues. As if that were not enough. Go down to verse 21. Behold, I will bring, this is the Lord still speaking through Elijah. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger which you have provoked me. And because you have made Israel to sin, and of Jezebel, the Lord said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. See, as they made sure that Naboth's family, all rightful claims to that inheritance of the vineyard were dealt with, so God is coming in judgment upon Ahab, saying, as you executed Naboth and his family, the condemnation that you face is this. You, your sons, your entire family is going to die. And God describes it here in pretty horrific ways how that is going to happen. And here again, we see something marvelous take place. Confusing, but yet marvelous. Verse 25, there was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably, going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. 
What are all those signs of? Those are signs of repentance. Ahab hears his condemnation. And how does Ahab respond to God's judgment? He repents. You might say, ha, it's just an act. Remember the Lord who sees all? Note, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? And here comes the marvelous part of the text. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. He's not going to have to watch this. Oh, it's still going to happen. The judgment is still going to take place. But this is the Lord's mercy. Ahab. See, that's why we're given the rundown in, 20, in 26, or 25 and 26. Who is this guy? This is the worst of the worst. This is a guy who, who, who has done abominable things in Israel, unspeakable things. And yet he humbled himself. The judgment of God. And God, merciful as he is, says it won't happen in your day. Mercy. Why? Because he humbled himself. My friends, what do you suppose then the mercy of God looks like for you? And for me. Want to know what the mercy of God looks like? I will remember your sin no more. Want to know what the mercy of God looks like for you and I? There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. God is merciful to an Ahab. God will be merciful to any one of us who humbles themselves and turns to Christ. Here is mercy. They kill the son of the owner of the vineyard. God makes it mercy and grace. Father, thank you. We so often rush to judgment. We might be tempted to do that with those around us in this world. We see the evilness of their lives and if they were to repent, we probably wouldn't even accept it. But you do. You do. There but for the grace of God go I. 
Yes, all but your grace and your mercy and love to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this word that you have given to us, the word of a man of integrity picturing for us, foreshadowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we thank you for recording for us your mercy to Ahab. For Lord, in that mercy, we understand the depth of your love. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.